Greetings, amigops, and top teners everywhere. Welcome back to Top 10 with Kyle and Mike. I am your co-host, Kyle. Opposite me today, as he is every week, is your delightful, clean-shaven co-host, Michael. This week, as we do every week, one of us will be bringing a topic to the table. This week, it's Mike's topic. I have no idea what it is. It could be anything under the sun. He's going to relay this list to me. We're going to debate it vigorously. By the end of the episode, we'll override the definitive top 10 version of this list. Let's get started, Mike. What are we talking about? All right, Kyle. I want to start off by saying thank you for the nod to the the clean shave. I'm happy to be clean shaven once more. I was told uh, by a dear friend of this pod that my skin looks great. It does look really good. So a month off of shaving will do that for you. But I was also told by that same friend of the pod that I look like a baby. So you kind of you kind of win some and lose some on that. Take the good I, with um, the bad. Yeah, good with the bad sort of situation. At any <laughs> rate, what we will be talking about this week are mostly movies. I think I think was, we'll we'll call it movies because I think this is all movies. Egregious movie mismatches. So these are situations in which two characters, two forces, are pitted against each other, and it is patently obvious to us as the viewer who would actually win this confrontation and yet the movie evinces no such self-awareness so what i mean to say is let's imagine a scenario where a giant is fighting a baby and i as a viewer am supposed to believe that the giant is going to be at least at least matched if not beaten by this baby the baby doesn't have superpowers. It's just they're fighting and for some reason I'm supposed to believe this. Okay. So that's the basic structure. Uh, what I want to know, the most, ma- the biggest exception to this framework is I will be accepting scenarios in which this mismatch in power is somehow explained away by the rules of this movie universe or is in some way trying to teach us a lesson. So a good example might be uh, Harry Potter versus Voldemort. So you might say on paper that that looks like a pretty egregious mismatch. However, the rules of the story have some interesting magic in place that puts guardrails on that mismatch. Plus, we have the story's core message, which is that love beats hate, friendship beats, you know, yeah. going solo. Like that's a, so there's, yes. That's like a perceived mismatch, but like the whole point of that is that there's another force at work here that we're underestimating. Exactly. So the, I'll give you the the real inspiration for this. That's list, what I was going to ask. This feels like a one, like something you were like, aha. So the inspiration for this is that um, Creed Two is coming <laughs> okay, out, yeah. <laughs> and it reminded me of some. Uh, well, we'll get to some of these, but it reminded me of some mismatches that exist in that cinematic universe that have always really bothered me. Yeah, that's fair. <laughs> so, like, when another. I know, I feel like you've chosen your words intentionally here, but is it, would it be useful to think about this episode using another terminology like movie underdogs? Sort of. It's so, it would sort of work that way. But I think the reason I use the term mismatch is because it's not always so obvious from the way the movie is framing it that one ought to be the underdog uh. but we as viewers are watching like that that person would never win that person should be the underdog 
So that's the big thing. This is really kind of just laughing at movies where there's a huge power disparity that isn't properly acknowledged. Okay. Now, I think as we go, you'll get the gist of it. And I also am pretty sure you and I have had these conversations after watching movies where we go, there's just no way such and such a person would ever have competed with this other person. Like, what are we doing here? Yeah. I like this. I like this a lot. All right. You ready to roll? Yeah, I'm into this. Let's go. Okay, so number 10, the Mighty Ducks versus Team Iceland. So the reason that this is not number one, because... <laughs> so so there, there is a good reason this isn't number one. So the basic framing is Mighty Ducks, just full stop Mighty Ducks. The first movie is about a peewee hockey team in Minnesota. So very good hockey in Minnesota, even at the peewee level. They do win the district championship, which is big. It's very cathartic for Coach Bombay. He beats his old coach who was mean to him. Sure. We all feel good at the end of this. They're still a local peewee team sourced from a pool of, I, I don't know, I, let's just, let's be generous, 500,000 kids possible. Let's yeah. say that. In the metropolitan it's, Twin Cities area. Right. So I think it's quite, quite <laughs> a bit less than that. But it's just basically a local hockey team. Right. They then go to the Junior Goodwill Games in the second movie, and they beat Iceland, who, notably, the population is probably about the same as the pool the Mighty Ducks have taken from, but in the world of the movie, I'm supposed to assume that Iceland is the best hockey team at this age in the world. They're like 14, 15 years old. This is the best team of 14-year-old players in the world, and a local team beats them. So that's the insane setup. The only reason that this is number 10 is because there is a small infusion of legitimate outside talent to this team. So they get Kenny Wu, who is an Olympic figure skater or like junior Olympic figure skater. They get Dean Portman, who is a clearly steroidal teenage brawler. So he's he scares the other kids. They have Luis Mendoza, who is whatchamacall, what's the kid's name from uh, something the kid, Benny the Jet? from uh benny the jet rodriguez yeah so it's him from sandlot and he's basically the same skill which is being really fast but he can't stop and they get julie the cat gaffney who's supposed to be one of the best goalies in the country so they get four legit and then they get the kid who can who can rope cattle i forget his name they get a couple of legitimate superstars still tacking that onto a team of peewee hockey players i have real issues with this yeah it'd be because like realistically like that team but, like, I'm trying to think. In real life, like, this junior hockey team... Yes. Theoretically, could compete, like, to the point where they had won states, right? Yes. And mm-hmm. then would theoretically compete, like, at a nationwide level? Yeah, some sort of national championship, I suppose. And they could theory- theoretically win that, which means that they would, like, basically be representing the United States... But so like, that's just that that's not how it works. These are these are people so I get what you're saying, and that's sort of how the Little League World Series works. Yeah. But this would be a pre-selected group of the best players in the country. The Little League World Series idea, which which is interesting that you say that, because it does sort of put the lie to my scenario, at least if we're talking about Little League baseball, because I think, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, those international teams are typically super teams. Yeah, they are. So it's a super team playing a local, the best of the local teams. Yeah. So that is the exact setup. But the difference there is that those teams are amalgams of entire states, aren't they? 
Or no, that's not how no, it works. No, those are, yeah. so I guess that is this scenario. So, like, so in this case, is it is it unlikely that, like, that team and from that particular district or whatever is the best one in the entire country? No, but I don't think it's inconceivable, especially considering that, like, you wouldn't make a movie about another team that wasn't the best in the country. This is interesting. I never considered that this is basically what happens in the League World Series. I don't mean to, like, n- n- disclaimer. I haven't seen them. This is Mighty Ducks 3. 2. Two, so I haven't seen Mighty Ducks two, so I, I'm probably missing some key contact, and maybe that's is why it's helping me look at this from a from an outside perspective. I also don't know hockey as well as you do. You can call me out on my bullshit. I'm no, just no, to no. This, this is I'm I'm thinking through this. See, I'm I'm trying to think that maybe the reason that this scenario doesn't work exactly is because, but they the don't... U.S. is the hub of is the hub of baseball, so. Of course, there are great professional leagues throughout Central America and then in Japan. But the U.S. is still sort of the home of baseball. So the the majority of the baseball talent in the world is based out of the United States. So in this equivalent scenario, that team that can, from a municipal level, compete with entire national teams, that would have to be Canada. Like, it would have to be the Canadian district champs yeah would have to be the, so i guess it's not an exact equivalent but it, it does that does raise some issues i see your point and i feel like in this movie they don't go through like the months-long process that we, would be required to like prove that they were the best team in the states before taking on this icelandic team yeah yeah i'm actually now trying to remember how they get chosen to be this team I want to say Gordon Bombay, the coach of their local team, gets the job because he was such a good coach and then just pulls in all of his favorite players. Yeah, this is kind of bullshit. (laughs) I think I get the idea, though. Like, this is supposed to be, like, we're supposed to believe that this is a couple of scrappy kids from Minnesota all of a sudden playing against, like, the 19-whatever Russian Olympic hockey team. Basically, that's basically yeah. what I'm supposed to believe. All right, that's- so there's some issues with that. We'll see if something better can replace well, it's it. But 10. I, I, yeah, it's number ten. Uh, all right, so number nine. So this isn't a scenario where the uh, the the favorite gets defeated, but the fact that the underdog even competes for as long as he does is preposterous. This is the Finn versus Kylo Ren lightsaber fight at the end of Force Awakens. Utterly preposterous that Finn survives for five seconds in this fight. To be fair, this I would say the total screen time in this fight is probably less than two and a half minutes. But yes, like, that is accurate because I YouTubed it earlier. Yeah, but this fight ends so quickly that you wouldn't even call it a fight. Like, he, like Finn would be like, yeah. and turn the lightsaber on, and Kylo Ren would be like, LOL, and like force move the saber and like cut Finn's head off with his own That's lightsaber. That's actually probably the most likely scenario. He does a stop hitting yourself situation. And then cuts his head off. Like, yeah. Like, maybe he cuts off several of it. Maybe he, like, Monty Python and the Black Knight, like, does it where he cuts off all yeah. of his limbs first. Mm-hmm. I just think, or since Kylo Ren is kind of a dick, like we've discussed before, he might toy with his food and, like, engage him in some actual saber fighting for, a, a, like, 10 seconds. Yeah. But Finn lasts a couple minutes, which is. Utterly preposterous because he's only wielded a lightsaber once and incredibly poorly earlier in the movie. So what's interesting about this mismatch is it checks every 
damn box on the mismatch <laughs> chart. Because Kylo Ren versus Finn. So if we're talking about John Boyega versus Adam Driver in a fist fight. Adam yeah. Driver beats the living snot out of John Boyega. He is much larger and has a much, much greater reach and is surprisingly jacked. John Boyega is, is just pretty, watch, <laughs> just watch, uh, The Last Jedi. Yes, just, you'll, you will see for some reason. And John Boyega is pretty doughy and doesn't appear to have a, a great reach. So just fist fight Adam Driver slash Kylo Ren kick ass. If we talk about inherent, like, if we're talking midi chlorians here, the midi chlorian race here, th- this was not a race. Adam Driver's character, Kylo Ren, has got so many more midi chlorians, it's not even funny. And then the final nail in, in the John Boyega coffin is Adam Driver, Kylo Ren, has been trained yeah. for years by like, by the greatest yeah. Jedi master alive. Like, unquestionably, the authority on lightsaber dueling in the galaxy. Yep. From when he was very young. So yes. like, <laughs> this would be like, this would be like going up to bat. This would be like, I can't even like an equivalent. This would be like an eighth grader that doesn't really play baseball. Like having an at bat against Clayton Kershaw. Yeah. Vintage before the back injury, Clayton Kershaw. This is like 2011, like 1.2 ERA, Clayton Kershaw. This is a Clayton Kershaw who wouldn't even need to throw his curveball. Right, wouldn't even need it. Like this, yeah, Kylo yeah. Ren would not even need to engage the force. And I'm not even talking the fancy like force choke force or force lightning force. I'm talking even just like sensing which move is next. He wouldn't even need to use that. No. Yeah. No, and it makes. Yeah, and, and but then like later, like a few minutes after this, when he fights Ray, it's tempting to say that it should be the same way, but no, but exactly, I thought about that very briefly. The whole point of that exchange is that Ray has such crazy natural raw ability that she can hang with Kylo Ren, and that what makes that that duel one of the best in that whole universe. Which now that I'm thinking about it, that's probably another podcast. But yeah. Anyways, I really like that at number nine. I'm kind of surprised to find it this low because this so because this fight would be over in in like 35 femtoseconds. So this is an interesting one. It's low. It's as low as it is only because of the briefness of the exchange yeah. and the fact that Finn doesn't come out. He doesn't win this fight. Right. It is, but even even surviving five seconds is preposterous. <laughs> so it may still move up. All right. Fair enough. All right. And lest ye, lest ye think I don't love this movie series, let me declare very clearly, I love this series. But clocking in at number eight is the Mighty Ducks again. This time, this time, (laughs) this time on the opposite side of the exchange. This time, it is the Mighty Ducks in D3, the Mighty Ducks. So let's walk through the logic of these films, okay? So the first movie, they're just the district champs, right? They're sure. the underdog. They're the underdog district champs. Something happens. They all hit puberty simultaneously. They become world, world champions in the second movie, okay? Against the Icelands. Yes. So regardless of what we think about whether they should have been, the fact is in this universe, the team known as the Mighty Ducks yeah. is, in fact, they are the world champs. This is the world champion. The third movie, the premise is that they go to this snooty prep school. They are freshmen. It's very important. They're freshmen. But they go to the snooty prep school, and they are assigned 
to be the JV team. They just become the JV team. So one of their good players gets moved up to varsity and it causes all sorts of problems. But for all intents and purposes, the existing varsity team is the varsity team. The Mighty Ducks become the JV team. Okay. Okay. So I've got some real problems with that. But pecking order, they're younger. They get the shit beat out of them by this high school hockey team. Yeah. This, this is... So they play the seniors s- and get their asses kicked? Yes. So utterly preposterous. They are the world champs. I understand that there's some mismatch in, in testosterone here. We've got a group of 17 and 18-year-olds playing a group of 14 and 15-year-olds. In my time as an athlete, whatever so, you want to call that, just a high school athlete, there were times when I played people who were going places... I was not going places. Even when I was 18, when I played people going places at 14, they were so obviously better than the yeah. rest of us. So that's so that's the important the the very important thing is that this team has already been established as one of the best in the world for their age group because the best in the world for their age group. A good point. Because you've read, have you read Outliers? Yeah, I'm familiar with it. I haven't read it, but I'm familiar. It's the, pretty much this exact argument. It's like one of the first chapters in the book is that at this age, the difference in even a year of growth makes a huge difference and can drastically increase your odds at playing professional hockey, which is mm-hmm. why you tend to see professional NHL players born in January, February, March, early months, because you're playing against guys that are 12, or 10 to 12 months younger than you are. So I could buy that a senior team would take the shit out of a freshman team because they've got four years of development on them mm-hmm. at a time when four years of development means an awful lot. Mm-hmm. But like you said, we've already, the only way this works is if like this, this part of Minnesota is like the like Wakanda of hockey and like, like all the good hockey genes are here. Like some yep. crazy like hockey gods settled here a long time ago. And so like this senior class is like just like maybe they won the world championships like when they were also this age. That's the only way this works because if you have a team that's this accelerated, they would kick the living poop out of that senior team if they were just a regular high school senior hockey team. Right. And I think, I think the other scenario in which you could start believing this is a different sport, like football. Yeah. In football, those four years are so important because every play is, is based on contact and physicality, whereas, and physical, hockey, hockey, physicality is optional. You can, it helps to be physical, right? But a team of players who are fast enough, they don't get touched, right? They're not going to get touched. So major issues with this. I like this, but so it's a mismatch, but like kind of in the opposite direction of the way we've been saying where like, they yeah, should... our pro, our protagonists are so obviously superior. Yeah. And yet they get bested and then have a major comp. They do spoiler alert. They win in the end. Yeah. But it's wild that they're bested even once. Yeah. Yeah. That is wild. It's kind of interesting because mm-hmm. so far we've had a couple of different scenarios. Like Finn versus Kylo Ren, like he doesn't actually beat him. Like he does eventually get schooled, like he should be. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Yeah, yeah, this takes many forms. Yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah, I'm, I'm into it. I'm not poking a hole in it. I just like it. Cool. All right, so we're gonna do a little bit of a new thing here. So we have done <laughs> ten through eight, and as is my instinct, 
now is the perfect and, time and to by move the way, to a new segment. This is the correct instinct. Like, I don't know why we started off this way, doing it after seven, but when you called me out on it on the last, on the one with Jerry, I thought about it for like seven seconds and I was like, shit, he's right. We gotta switch this back. <laughs> <laughs> But gladly, we will be moving to number eight. And we hope you like the music that either just played or is just about to play. I think I'm not, I'm not sure which. Kyle? I think what will happen in the future and what we'll do on this pod is whoever's list it is will say, and now it's time for the not top three. And then I'll play the music. All right. So I'm going to do it right now. Yeah. All right. But don't, don't edit that last part out because we want the viewers to take this journey with us. And now. What am I, am I now take it to or just say now this our top, all, top three? This is whatever you want to do. Okay. Just give me a all cue right. when I'm editing so I know it's time for the music. All right. I'll make sure you know. Yeah. And now are not top three. All right. So the not top three, I guess this could have just been uh really evenly matched foes. I didn't, that's kind of a, pain in the ass so instead i did ones that i actually think that i actually think will help explain this concept kind of primarily is is what happens there yeah so one is the nazgul versus eowyn confrontation so i think on paper you can understand how the idea of eowyn defeating a nazgul is ridiculous, and this is Lord of the Rings for those of you who are not as familiar with it. She's a, a woman who ends up fighting for the cause of of the good folk in this, and she takes on one of the ring wraiths, so one of these uber powerful creatures, and it's that's the Witch King of Angmar, right? That she takes down. It's like the chief wraith. Yeah. So he's he's like he's a this is a boss. He's a badass. He's a badass, and. It's really, it's a pretty great confrontation. The reason that this, this, this works is because he says, no man can kill me. It is epic. It's pretty epic. And she rips off her helmet and says, I am no man and stabs him right through the face as he crumples into nothingness. After she, is that after she, yes. Well, first she lops off the Nazgul's dome. Yeah. Which is like, she like does this cool sidestep, it like lunges, and then its neck is right in front of her, and she just cuts that fucker's head off. Yeah. And then she puts her sword through the Wraith's face. Yeah. It's, it's pretty epic. So this is a scenario where on paper, she seems pretty, pretty outmatched. Yeah. But the logic of the movie is such that you're totally on board with this. The line she delivers about, I am no man. You're just, you're so, you're so with it that I think it makes sense in the context of the movie. It also, it also nicely matches the movie's message, book's message about great deeds coming from unlikely places. I think, see, for me, this fits, this would fit like squarely on your actual list. Cause one single person against a wraith atop his Nazgul beast is such an utterly insurmountable foe. But I think, one reason it might not qualify is because the added ingredient here is the disrespect of the wraith, like the uh, like the underestimation of his. Film. So that that to me is why this is Voldemort like. Yeah, it's Voldemort like because it's instructive for us as viewers. I I don't I would never watch this and laugh at the movie or the book 
for giving me a scenario that's not believable. And that's kind of what I'm getting at with this list is uh. these works are, these works are not self-consciously at all just giving me something that's insane. This, I think, reflects on this moment well enough that it, I don't think it's crazy. Okay. Okay. So then, so, so then from like, the same movie, like three minutes later. What about Legolas versus that Oliphant? Like, would that be the That's same it. thing? Where it's like you would expect this to be a mismatch, but because Legolas is so ridiculously skilled, it actually isn't really. I think that would probably fall into that category where it's it's meant to demonstrate something to us as viewers. Okay, sure, but All that's right. but that one veers closer towards the self-parody it's pretty wild it's pretty awesome though that's i don't know i just love that moment another good moment where we've got some people taking on something that's well above their level of skill is the uh harry and ron versus troll encounter that is not a good matchup on paper for our boys so why is it just because they get away with it because of sheer dumb luck that we're putting this on our not top three so I put this here partially because of that, partially because this moment is very, it, it's very instructive for them in realizing how close they were to dying. This isn't just a moment where like two innocent babes in the woods just take down a troll and that's it and I'm just supposed to move on. This is a moment where it talks about the things that bond friends together. It's McGonagall explaining to them that they really are existing in this very dangerous world and they really could have been killed. And it also is demonstrating just how dumb trolls are because I think in the logic of this universe, we are meant to understand that trolls really are that dumb. Like the trolls in Harry Potter are so dumb that they could actually be defeated by a wizard who really only knows one spell. Okay. I buy that. So I, so the, the, I picked these ones that are close to the line to kind of help demonstrate and to talk about it. But I think, I think that there's a, there's an opportunity potentially to move some of these. No, I like this one because it is, it is blurry. Because you even, like, they've been at Hogwarts for like a week at this point. Like, this is, this is, should be well outside the realm. But the fact that she does so specifically say, like, you idiots, we're sure we're lucky. It is also, it is also demonstrative of the qualities that make all of them so special. Yeah. I think we're meant to understand, and this is meant to introduce us to the concept that these kids are going to take on things that are well above their on paper capacity, but we're going to see them get by because of companionship and smarts and bravery. Yeah. Okay. Uh, And then one more that probably should be on the knot, but I wanted on the, or should be on the actual top 10, but I wanted on the knot and I won't spoil because we've agreed that we're not going to ever spoil the ending of this one. Uh, 310 to Yuma. That is... <laughs> How is this not on the action? This is the most... This is the most preposterous climax of a movie maybe ever. It's it's utterly ridiculous. So, it's not preposterous for two reasons. <laughs> one, Dan is with... Is with our guy Russell Crowe the whole time. Ben Wade is with him... And I think that that keeps some of the bullets firing away from them because his people are afraid to shoot him. They only, I think, call that out once during the the exchange of fire, but it is called out once. Yeah, you're right. So that's one thing. The other thing is I do think that this movie is shot in such a way that it properly demonstrates the difficulty of getting a good shot off in in a town setting like this. 
So just from like a logistical standpoint, not from a why I put it on this list, but just from a logistical standpoint, those are two reasons that I think practically this could have gone down the way the movie has it go down. Now, the reason I put it in the not list is because I love it. It's That's a, probably it. It's a wonderful sequence. I know. It's just so rewarding for me as a viewer. They probably could have done this a different way and gotten us to t- still take away the lesson we took from this movie. I'm just so glad they went for it. This is what this movie needed. I think everyone needs to see this movie. Yeah. This was really just a shameless plug for 310 to Yuma because I think it's pretty clear that this belongs on the actual list. I agree with your assertion, but the fact of the matter is that it's like it's one versus like how many guys are in that posse? Twelve, at but, least. But they're joined. But they're joined by a whole town that they've recruited to come shoot with them. And they know at the at the onset of this skirmish, they know where they are. They're inside a house that they're surrounded on all sides. They also know exactly uh, where, where he's they're going. Headed, yeah. That that is what kind of seals it for me. I think this one might jump over to the actual list, Mike. I know they're trying not to hit Ben Wade, but. This this is <laughs> this is a lot. Like there's yeah, this... there's no reason they have to shoot him. Like they could just they could just like swarm him, right? Yeah, especially because you know he's not actually going to shoot Ben. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So All right, whatever, we'll talk about it. <laughs> All right, let's get back to All it right. then. All right, clocking in at number seven is Fat Old Roger Moore versus Jaws. So Jaws is a giant with steel teeth. Now, I don't want the pod listeners to mistake this for a bias towards size, because I do think there are certain cases in which a very large person inviting a very small person or average size person does not immediately advantage the large person. Perfect case would be Oberyn Martell versus the mountain. Like, that's a good example where we're properly explaining why somebody who's smaller versus somebody who's larger can make sense. This is a tough matchup for Roger Moore. To be clear, we are not talking about Jaws the Shark from the movie Jaws. That would be fun if we were. No, we're talking about the guy. If if any of you have seen Happy Gilmore, he's (laughs) the guy with the nail in his head. Earlier in his career, plays a giant henchman with steel teeth who, like, bites people with said steel teeth. And several times in physical altercations... The aging James Bond, played by the aging Roger Moore, bests him. And it is so utterly preposterous. It just, it defies any explanation because these are physical confrontations. These are not just he drops a gas canister and runs away. Like he's fighting Jaws and beating him. So your argument is that because Roger Moore is so old, he shouldn't be able to defeat this younger Spryer man? There is no. There's no iteration of James Bond, young, old, spry or otherwise, who would take down Jaws. This particular iteration of James Bond, who is old and feeble, certainly is not taking down Jaws. So I think both from the internal logic of the movie, it makes no sense. And from the more external logic of watching who's actually portraying this character, it makes even less sense. But I don't know. I'd have to look. I'd have to watch it again. But like. It's kind of an Oberyn versus the Mountain thing, right? Where, like, Bond... But he doesn't really. Like, they could have gone this way where he's, like, quicker than him. But they don't really go that way. Like, they just show him beating him up. Yeah. It's kind of 
I think that the the difference here is how well Thrones sets up that dichotomy and how they're trying to show us something with that. Mm. I think Bond just got a little bit lazy and they thought it'd be fun to have some giant with steel teeth on the movie and then didn't really take the time to explain why Bond would beat him up. Yeah, I would have expected some kind of like magnet. <laughs> yeah, he definitely he ends up in space somehow. It's been a while since I've seen this one, but Jaws I think ends up getting launched into space eventually. Yeah, I don't remember. I I if I've seen this one it was a long time ago, so I I can't speak to with too much detail on it. Yeah. Well, suffice to say, it's insane. And I also think that this was this is something of a placeholder for a lot of Bond confrontations. Yeah. If I'm remembering correctly, you and I watched the It's You Only Live Twice is the one where he beats up The Rock's grandfather. Really? Yeah, don't you remember? We, there's, he's uh, infiltrating that office building. I think it's the Japanese office building, and he's up in that office, and Rocky Mayava, uh, who's, or Mayavia, who's uh, The Rock's grandfather, is patrolling. And then comes to fight him and he just beats him up, which is about is about as ridiculous as, say, Daniel Craig beating up the rock. It's it's roughly equivalent to that. I was going to say it's it's as silly as Daniel Craig beating uh, Dave Bautista inspector. Yes. Another excellent example. So this is my so this is my point. Yeah. Is the Jaws in particular one. There are some mitigating circumstances where we can talk about how. We get a little bit of the Oberyn treatment here, but it adds up. Yeah, no. when you've got that, and you've got Drax, and you've got a lot of this stuff. No, I like I like this as like a general kind of thing for Bond because he does tend to like overcome physical odds that he shouldn't be able to. At least Inspector Dave Bautista is kicking his ass up and down that train, and yeah. the only reason Bond can beat him is because he happens to wrap his foot around that chain and then like get him knocked out of the car. But whatever. Which was actually pretty cool. I love, that's like probably my, because that's one of those cool, like, you know, that's in right now is the long track shot. And like they do that through the train cars. That's probably one of the best scenes from Spectre. We're getting off track. Yeah. To stay off track for one more second, two quick things that I found out or remembered in one case about this movie from looking uh, at it earlier. One is this movie grossed over $200 million to the box office in 1978. Wow. Yes, that is wild. That's, that is a wild amount of money that's that was crazy. not matched. Yeah, that wasn't matched by this franchise again until Goldeneye. Fuck. So that's one. And secondly, and far more importantly, do you have any recollection what the female lead in this movie was named? This isn't the one with Octopussy, is it? Or uh, nope. or Xenia no. on the top, or <laughs> Plenty O'Toole. No, Octopussy is the name of the actual movie, not the girl, right? That is true. Yeah, yes. Never mind. Uh, it wasn't, there wasn't plenty of tools. She's from Goldfinger. She's from Diamonds Are Forever. Oh, shit. Pussy Galore is from Goldfinger. Oh, Who's, and a lot of vagina is from Austin Powers. Might as well be from these movies, uh, because this one is Holly Goodhead. Oh my god. <laughs> yep. Holly Goodhead. That's her name. That's a tough one. That's a tough one. Yep. That's, that's tough. Oh boy. Uh, alright, so that was number seven. Number six, a little bit of a, a mood changer here, uh, a little bit of a shift. This is Greg, otherwise known as Gaylord Fokker versus Jack Burns. So this is meet the, meet the parents. So the setup here is that this regular dude, he's a nurse, 
of like above average intelligence, but he's like a regular dude. Yeah. Goes into the home of his future father-in-law, who is an ex-CIA agent. And I think it's implied or possibly specified that he was an interrogator. Yeah. But certainly a field, a field operative to be sure. And he, he fools him into like giving him any time in his home. He allows him to be around the family. He switches the cat with another cat. Yes, he is discovered in all of these things. Yes, he gets into trouble. But the fact that he is allowed in this house for more than five minutes under the nose of this hardened former CIA interrogator is absolutely wild to me. It is wild. Especially because at every stage, he does things that would get him kicked out of the house by this guy, Jack. He's smoking cigarettes, lighting the hopa on fire. He's, he's just like, he's doing all these things that Jack would clearly kick him out if he found out about. And somehow he doesn't actually pin him down until right near the end of the movie. It makes no sense. Yeah, he would catch his ass pretty quickly. Yeah, and it's, it's not so much that he doesn't have his suspicions because he certainly does. My issue is much more with the fact that he doesn't collect proof. I feel like Jack would have had very clear videographed proof early on because by the end oh, of the movie cameras all over that place you know right and we see the hidden camera at the end of the movie as the end credits roll he's like joking around with the camera it's very odd to me that he couldn't have built a stronger case earlier on does this mean that does this mean that he's really just giving Fokker a hard time and has come to the conclusion earlier in the movie than we think that even if he doesn't really like him, his daughter does, and he has to, has to deal with it. That's a very nice interpretation. I don't think that's and the I right think, one. And that's what he comes to at the end. Yeah. But it's not where he's at early on. If he could have totally nailed Gaylord to the wall... He probably it, would have. Ten minutes into that movie, if he could have totally nailed him, he would have. Yeah. But he doesn't. And Greg is coming at him with stuff like the Jerusalem Tulipesius... And he's, that's, I guess, Jack says that. But he comes to him with a, a tulip, and he's trying to get in good with him. He talks about growing up at a farm in Detroit while it was a Dutch farmhouse style. He's milking cats. Like, he he comes out pretty early with some ridiculous shit. Yeah. No, I like this one. Like, the mental faculties of Gaylord Fokker wouldn't be able to contend with how smart this guy must be, even in his retirement. Yeah, this is foolishness to me. Yeah, I buy that. All right, number five. Number five is one of the most open and shut cases of just complete insanity. And maybe you'll shed some light on how they they explain this one. This is Neo versus Agent Smith in The Matrix. (sighs) Yeah. So here's here's from Wikipedia. I, I copied this because I really think it's important. So this is the section of the Wikipedia entry on Agent Smith explaining his powers, and I quote, By moving from body to body, he can reform himself if he is, quote, killed, end quote, which only kills the host body and appear virtually anywhere. He can overcome the limitations of gravity and the human body, giving him speed and strength sufficient to dodge bullets flawlessly, punch through concrete with his bare hands, and jump impossible distances. He and other agents wear earpieces that allow them to communicate with each other simultaneously and perceive the actions of other humans wired into the Matrix via a type of shared consciousness. End quote. And I am led to believe, in the course of this movie, that Neo competes with with this being. Yeah, 
to like to call him a being is almost like inaccurate because he is more he's almost like the world that they occupy or like yes. like a, he's he's a computer program that is is an integral part of this universe he's part of this computerized world right like he and like the agent smith that we like hugo weaving that we see is only a like a represent like a it's something that an audience can see is a representation of the matrix <laughs> but i guess the whole point of neo is that he's operating like outside of those bounds yes sure and i'm not i'm not a matrix head like i've i don't like get into the i feel like if I feel like if I watched these movies, I would. But, like, I'm not really into, like, the lore or, like, the rules of that universe. No, th- see, that's the thing. The lore and the rules are, are going to take you down a dark path because yeah. they're going to contradict themselves very quickly, I promise. I bet. Yeah. This one does feel kind of aggressive. Yeah. It's just, I wonder why we felt the need to make Agent Smith quite so powerful. I understand why you'd want to do that. Like to set the stakes as incredibly high as they are in those movies to make it feel like an insurmountable. Like this is, this is very intentional. Like agent Smith is, is made to be this way to make the, the ultimate victory feel as improbable as it does. And I think it it like illustrates just how powerful Neo becomes at the end of that movie, Mm. which is like, that is a really satisfying portion of that movie is when Neo's like, fuck all this and just, like goes crazy but i see your point like it's like it's like beating the house you know yeah like it just doesn't it shouldn't happen because mm-hmm. the because necessarily the rules state that that cannot happen you know yeah yes exa- that's the thing it's a rules-based universe yeah and rule number one is agent smith does whatever the hell it wants yeah i think that we would be pretty quickly shot down if we were to discuss this with actual matrix fans that is my suspicion. I suspect that you're probably right. <laughs> but I, 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 I like the sentiment. All right, so number four, we're going back to the world of sports movies. This is one of the more preposterous ones out there. This is Happy Gilmore versus Shooter McGavin. This is this is ridiculous. Yeah. So Shooter McGavin, I, I was trying to do a little research. I couldn't figure out whether he's an actual tour champion or whether he's just saying that that jacket is his because he's going to be the tour champion. Regardless. Regardless, he is a man with a very realistic expectation that he will become the champion of what is implied to be the PGA Tour. Maybe said to be the PGA Tour. I don't know if they got the licensing rights, but the highest level of golf in the land. Right. He's the champ or going to be the champ. And then this angry doofus who was a failed hockey player and has never played golf and is quite a bad putter beats him. This is this is insane. For anyone that has ever played golf knows how what utter fantasy this is. Because even if you could drive, let's yep. assume for a second that you could drive like that. 400 let's say let's say your average drive is 400 yards. Yeah. 4 Hundred yards. Let's start there. We don't get a ton of info in this movie what his mid-range game is like, like how he hits his irons. Mm-hmm. But based on his drive, I would guess that he's a a poor user of his irons because you don't One would think because they're not the same thing at all. No, really, at, at, in any way. So like, <laughs> so if, if you can't play mid and you can't play a short game, 
You could still you he would be awesome at like work events and Oh, he'd be the man. He'd be like you you like might even he might even be able to play around I guess maybe around par, but like there's no way he'd be able to hang on a on a PGA tour. Well the thing is the thing that you have to remember about these PGA events is that they're four day events. Yeah. I think it's realistic to believe that Happy Gilmore could set the all-time tour record and shoot like a 57 once. Because yeah. if everything is working one day and he's driving the ball that far, he could maybe have one day that is so truly extraordinary that he would get a huge, he'd get out to a huge lead on Thursday. Maybe. He's never recreating that for three more days. Another question I have is how does Happy play like a par three? Like, can he tailor his drive to put it on the green? So the idea behind golf clubs is that you don't actually have to change your swing. Right. You're supposed to, they're just supposed to be the same swing on every club. Realistically, that's not really how it works. And I'm skeptical that there would be any club with enough loft that somebody hitting the ball that yeah. far like, even could if he's, club down appropriately. Like if he's hitting that far on his driver, he would put a wedge. Yeah, even a, even like a a fake new club that's like an eighty eight degree wedge. Yeah, that ball is going way too far, even for a short par three. Interesting. I don't. I don't. Yeah, I don't buy this. I don't buy this. And the movie doesn't really like. I think they understand. They understand this because they yeah. don't show anything besides his drive and his putting, which yep. like. This is he's a, also uses a hockey stick as his putter, which I think is hilarious. I think that's great. Definitely just, not. Definitely not legal. Not kosher. No, especially given the stuffiness of golf. Yes. No, this is I like I like this one a lot. This is a good. One. Good. So we're gonna. I think we skip the honorable mentions for right now. I think we're running very long, so I'll just yeah. bump through those in a little bit. Number three, another that is just deeply preposterous. This is Thanos versus the Avengers. I had that in my honorable mentions list here. Yeah. So he controls a couple things: mind, soul, space, power. Time and reality. Give me those are all of the things. Give me reality, and this fight's over. Like I, yeah. I think, like if he can, if he can alter reality the way that he does in Infinity War, this fight is over before it starts. Like he could, he could realistically incinerate every Avenger without even being near them. You know what I mean? Like yeah, oh, and, I do. And, and then you give him time, power, space, mind. It's like it's such an utterly unfair. The only thing, and this is kind of how they they allude to it more in the comics, is that like it requires exceptional and like superhuman level brain power and intellect to use the gauntlet even somewhat effectively because the powers, like the gauntlet, harnesses the Infinity Stone's power. But, like, even that is, like, it makes it, like, barely, you can barely control it, even if you're, like, have crazy level intellect. So, like, it's possible that, like, Thanos wouldn't, because in the comics, remember in the movie when he's, like, torturing Nebula? Yeah. So, in, in the comics, he does that, and he, like, keeps her around, like, basically dead for, like, long stretches of time to kind of prove a point, and, and Nebula ends up stealing the gauntlet from him. And, like, she can't handle it like he can, and it leads to a lot of problems. And the Avengers just basically need to, like, save her from herself. But in this movie, Thanos is shown 
to really be able to handle it. Like he yes. he can conjure stuff at will. He yes. like bends the tricks the... he does show extreme mastery. Yeah, like he uh that whole scene where they show up to nowhere and he makes it seem like he hasn't gotten there yet. And then yeah. he and he like as soon as the guardians show up, he's like poof and he turns them into like coils. And then he like he hurls that meteor down from the sky and like all this crazy stuff. Like if he can do that, and at the end of the movie he does, he just snaps and everyone's gone. But like he should be able to achieve he like he needed that level of power to do that to the entire universe. He should be able to do something like that to the Avengers, even with five infinity stones. That's an interesting point that I hadn't thought of, is that it's like it takes him all of that to get to the, the point that he gets to, but why couldn't he have done most of that on his way to that? It required, yeah. Well, and you see at the end of the movie, the gauntlet is, like, fried. Like, it took so yeah. much power to do that, that, like, even having all six Infinity Stones is, like, barely enough. But, like, mm-hmm. on the way there, like, he didn't have to, like... It's not like he was trying to do a couple of worlds here and there. Like, he's certainly... Five Infinity Stones has enough power to knock out a couple of Avengers. Yeah. And as soon as he gets the Time Stone, it's really... And, like... Yeah. And that's, that's game over, but you like, think. And, but, like, that's true. And, like, to be fair, the only, the only like, reason that this... Because like, he does kick their asses with the Time Stone. But, like, the fact that they're this close to getting the Gauntlet off his hand when he has four is... Is insane. There's like, there's just no way they'd be able to do that because the four that he has at that time, by the, like, well, no, I take that back. He only has three, right? I honestly cannot keep up with which stones he has when. He has three. He should, he should have, he should have enough power even with three to dispatch the Avengers without too much trouble. And this all, I, I part of what I'm putting here is with the, <laughs> the strong understanding that he's going to lose in the end. Yeah. Yeah. So, even if we ignore all of the sort of problems leading up to the point where he gets the fifth or this, however many he has, the six yeah. of them. Yeah. It's he's, he's going to lose. And that's hard for me to swallow as a viewer. I know that there's an explanation still. Tough. Yeah. It's tough. It's tough for the master of all like elemental forms of the universe for him yeah. to lose this battle at any point, even in Avengers four is, is, is hard to comprehend. Yeah. Yeah. I like this one. All right. So that brings us to number two. Number two was the inspiration for this entire list. This is the, <laughs> the central conflict from the first Rocky film. This is Rocky Balboa versus Apollo Creed. Yeah. One of the most preposterous, preposterous fights of all time, both within and without the movie. So, let's just take the stakes that the movie has set for us. Greatest fighter in the world. I think undefeated. I think I think he's undefeated. Apollo Creed is. Even if he's not, the implication is he's, he's pretty tough to beat. He's the heavyweight champion of the world. Yeah. Rocky Balboa. Low-level mob enforcer slash fight thrower. Okay, that, that's the movie setup. Tough fight. Okay. Here is my real issue. My real issue is external to the movie. Sylvester Stallone, I found some different opinions about his size. My understanding from people who have actually seen him in real life is he's something like 5'6 or 5'7. He's listed at 5'10 on the internet. 
I think that's kind of a Dustin Pedroia height, but let's let's assume he's somewhere in that ballpark, like five yeah. nine, five eight. Okay. The heaviest weight that anybody in the internet had him listed at is 175 pounds. And in a lot of these photos, I would estimate him much closer to 155 or 160. He's so ripped to the bone that I think he's probably more like 160 yeah. pounds. Carl Weathers. My acting coach. My acting coach, Carl Weathers, is not that size. No. Carl Weathers is six foot two, 225 pounds. Of, as my late grandfather would say, rompin' stompin' steel. That man is gigantic and beautiful. He is just corded, rippling muscle and mustache. And our understanding as viewers is that this is supposed to be Muhammad Ali. So we're basically talking about an in-his-prime Muhammad Ali portrayed by a man who is about the size of an in-his-prime Muhammad Ali, but more ripped. Yeah. Versus a, in the movies, low-level mob enforcer slash crappy club fighter who, outside of the movies, is portrayed by a man who gives up about five to six inches and about 50 to 60 pounds to his on-screen foe. And this is without getting into the fact that 175 pounds is nowhere near the heavyweight division. No. This would be preposterous even if Rocky was... 6'2", 225. Ding, ding, ding. Even if the movies told yeah. me this guy's huge and actually he's a great fighter, which it doesn't, the the simple casting of of Sylvester Stallone as a heavyweight is just foolishness. Yeah. I, I think, like, even if he was, let's say you had a guy that just happened to be the same size as Apollo, like, the the level of, like, training... That you, that you would need to do to, like, get on the level of, of this guy, while not impossible, would still make this list, I think. But then then give him the, se- the serious disadvantage of the physicality and, like, also, like, not even put him in the same weight class, and this jumps up and fits very cl- comfortably up at, like, one or two. This is silly. Yeah. It is just foolishness. Yeah. And Car- Carl Weathers is like. <laughs> did, you, did you have you seen uh, the original Predator? Yes. Oh my god, that movie is. Isn't he, I he's in that movie too, and uh, like they they make a very big show about him and like Arnold like like arm wrestling and just like walking around like hulking out of their shirts like in the yes. middle of like the fucking jungle like. He is a specimen, and uh, yes, see that would be an that would be an awesome fight, Carl Weathers versus like like what if Rocky was portrayed by Arnold Schwarzenegger? Okay, so this is exactly the point, and we can move on because we're beating a dead horse. Yeah. But the fact that you can look at Carl Weathers on screen next to Arnold Schwarzenegger and not yeah. laugh him off the screen, right, is that, proof of the foolishness of this very, other conceit. It's very striking to see the two on sc- on screen together and be like, "Whoa, like Carl Weathers belongs here." Like what the fuck yeah. is going on? Yeah. Yep. Agreed. Yeah, it's utter foolishness. Yeah. I like it. All right, and number 1, even if you haven't put it in your head, you'll know exactly what it is when we when we talk about it. Number 1 is the most preposterous head-to-head matchup of all time, and that is Batman versus Superman. <laughs> you and I are both pretty pretty well established as Batman people. What are we what are we talking about here? Mike, 
have you considered though that <laughs> their moms actually have the same name? Yeah. What what is this all about? I don't get it. <laughs> Why? Why, why, why does this need to be a thing? So, but, I mean, like, in a scenario where Batman has access to kryptonite, are we, like, assuming that this is a non-kryptonite fight? <sighs> Whatever, include kryptonite. If Batman has access to enough kryptonite, like, theoretically, he could defeat Superman. Okay, let's let's just talk about it. So, Superman can see through stuff, right? Yeah. He can use heat vision. Yeah. He can actually reverse time. Yeah. But whatever. What we Even if we pretend that that didn't happen, because that was like a hokey 70s movie where yeah. he reverses time, can't he just know where Batman is, Bruce Wayne is, and just stop him? Like, from a great distance? Because it seems, in the logic that these movies have set up, Superman is affected by kryptonite more when he's close to the kryptonite. Fair? Oh, absolutely. It's a proximity thing. Okay, but we also are kind of given to believe that Superman is capable of carrying out a long-range attack. Like, I don't think his laser vision only goes, like, three feet. Yeah. Okay, so even if Bruce Wayne is wearing a kryptonite-lined suit, if Superman attacks from an appropriate distance, which he can... Because he can see Batman wherever he goes because he can see through stuff. You know, that's true. And he true. can shoot he, lasers out of his eyes a significant or, distance. Or he could, he could like, throw a tank at him from a, from a great distance. Or he could, like, burrow underground and, like, yeah, like, there are, like, a million things Superman could do to kick Batman's ass. Or he could poison him slowly by boring a hole into his pipes and then just dripping some acid into it. That would be... That would be that would be rude. That would be very rude. There are a myriad ways. Like there are a lot of different things that our good friend Soups could do to Batman that he does not do. And the reason he doesn't do it is not because he wouldn't or he couldn't or he shouldn't. It's because the screenwriters thought it would be boring if he did it. That's true. Yeah, because you're right. Like in all the time, in all these like like the one that came out a few years ago, Batman vs Superman. Like Superman, like very obligingly, like decides to fight Batman on his terms, and like and like walks into like a kryptonite like radio wave field, and it's like Quark, and then yeah, it's it's very silly. It's Which silly. is not in keeping with the Superman character because Superman, at least in my experience with Superman, is not like Batman in that he's mentally weak enough to give in to something like that like he doesn't get he doesn't get so angry that he'd have to give in to that sort of dumb masculine bullshit challenge he wouldn't no like he's a boy scout but he's not like yeah i see what you mean he's not yeah because it's that's actually a really good point because it's not like in that scenario he gets tricked because he's so gullible and sweet yeah it's more like he's so pissed that he'll he'll go in on those terms which is pretty much the exact opposite of the character yeah probably one of the reasons i hate that movie so much but i like this one like i think more generally it's like anyone versus superman like like no yes like yeah <laughs> like there's no like really interesting superman fight because it's like you could just like like superman could grab you and like take your ass into outer space and just leave you there or like you know what i mean like i never thought of that that's a <laughs> that would be a good way for him to do it we had a, a close family friend that 
would engage me in like superhero fights and he would always pick Superman. And I'd be like, whoa, the Hulk gets str- so strong. Like he just, he would get so angry. He'd be, he'd be stronger than Superman. He'd be like, no, he'd take him out into space. The Hulk would die. He would turn back into Banner. He would die. It's like, shit, he's right. <laughs> I never thought of that. And is our, and I would imagine our thought is Superman could hurl somebody fast enough that they could achieve exit velocity, isn't it? Theoretically. I mean, he should be able to. He's Superman, so. He can stop a plane. Yeah. He stopped a plane. He's evil. Like, he can th- He's able to leap tall buildings without getting a wedgie. Yeah, that's oh, wait. true. Sorry, that's Captain Underpants. Yeah, close enough. Yeah, so, I don't know. Tough one. Tough one, Superman. Let's, let's do some honorable mentions. We gotta, we gotta get going here. Okay, uh, the Rocky versus Mason Dixon fought, uh, fight. His name, name is Mason the Line Dixon. Mm. Rocky's like 60 years old. Ridiculous. Maximus versus Commodus at the end of Gladiator. Yes, Maximus has been stabbed. So that, that's the only reason I don't put this on here is that yeah. he's been stabbed. And they do a quick scene early in the movie to establish that Commodus does practice in the sword yard. Yeah. Still, he is a grade A pussy and Maximus is a general who well, ask Jerry. He's a, a soldier who became a general who became a slave, a slave who became a gladiator, a gladiator who defied an emperor. Mm-hmm. The internet is claiming that I'm off base on this one, but I still think it's ridiculous. Uh, Paul Walker in his souped up Honda S2000 beating the shit out of a Ferrari. Mm. I, it's just like, I don't buy it. That's tough. Uh, Rocky versus Soviet war machine Drago, also preposterous. Like, why couldn't he have just fought somebody more reasonable? Yeah. Patrick Swayze versus everybody in the movie Roadhouse, including <laughs> the guy whose throat he rips out in the climactic fight. What? Yeah. Like, this is the guy from the dance movie. <laughs> and then finally, Rambo. Rambo fights such enormous scores of people it once again begs the question like almost all of these why was this extreme necessary i just don't get why we had to go quite to this extreme all of these things could have been fun without going that far right so those are my honorable mentions okay i've got some yeah in independence day the united states air force versus aliens (laughs) that's a great one that's silly shit in School of Rock, a band of, like, elementary school kids versus legitimate bands at Battle of the oh, Bands. Oh, we should argue for that one. That's a great one. Yeah, I like that one. In Armageddon, scientists versus <laughs> asteroid. <laughs> I'm taking a lot of these from our Ridiculous Movie Schemes podcast. They are they are cousins, I think. In the next one, Walter White versus the racists when he puts that machine gun in his car. <laughs> Yeah, so I, it's actually funny. I thought of that specific one. The only reason I didn't put it in here is because, well, two reasons. One is this is more of like a situation. Yeah. That I think it's more the situation that makes that battle ridiculous than the people themselves being so mismatched. Yeah, I guess it's, yeah. So it's, yeah, you're I, right, you're I thought right, it was right. slightly different. The only other thing is Heisenberg is established as being such a genius that at least yeah. in that world, it's somewhat consistent with his genius. That's fair. But, but I was with you on that one. Stranger Things, both seasons, whenever Elle is not around, like. Oh, great point. When, like, the fact that any of them are able to hang with, like, any of the creatures in the upside down is preposterous. <laughs> like, like, utterly ridiculous. Yeah, that's a really good point. This is one I'm serious about. John McClane, specifically in Die Hard's two through five, not one. Because I yes. think 
Even though he sustains ridiculous injuries in Die Hard, it's feasible to believe that a man, like, could escape the machine of, like, terrorists in a high-rise if he could get around in the elevator shafts and shit. Mm-hmm. Die Hard 2, 3 are r- r- utterly ridiculous. Die Hard 4 is inconceivably stupid. There's a scene where he jumps out of a semi-truck that he's driving onto a fighter jet <laughs> and wins. Like, it doesn't make... And it escalates. That he There's a scene in that movie where he drives a car off of, like, a toll booth and, like, crashes it into a helicopter. And, like, just before he does that, he jumps out of the car and survives. Like... He become he takes on biblically like superhero proportions later in that series, and it's it doesn't make any sense. I think that one might be a good fit. Remind me, does Andy from Parks and Rec make a similar argument on the show one time? He might. I think he does. That feels like he does. I'm I'm so on board with this though. In Terminator Two, T One versus T Two, or the like the Terminator One versus the T One Thousand or whatever. That's a great point. It's like, it's so stupid because the T-1000 is like literally designed to be superior to the T-2 or whatever in every way and like can morph into like metallic alloy and like do all this crazy shit that the Arnold Terminator can't do. That one always gets me a little bit. And Ooh, that might, that's like, that feels very Matrix-esque. Yeah. Which is that we're introducing the cold concrete logic of computer programming. I just... And I think that I I don't buy that they could kill the um I don't buy that they could kill the 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 more advanced one by smelting it. I just don't think that that would be possible no. given the technology. <laughs> Django versus everyone at the end of Django Unchained. But he's <laughs> but he's supposed to be like an expert marksman. So I guess I can buy it. It, it it's is It's a little pretty, 310 to Yumi. It's pretty silly. Um those are the ones I had. I like those. I would be pretty serious about the School of Rock pick. I actually don't think we should sleep on Independence Day because that's a really good... It's so stupid. And I, I'm, i like, pretty serious about John McClane. Like, specifically yeah. in Die Hard, or uh, Live Free or Die Hard. Yeah. I actually also would feel comfortable kind of just dropping the T-1000 into the place of Neo versus Agent Smith. Just on the off chance that we run into a Matrix person who's like, man, what you see... I'm I'm a little more comfortable calling the Terminator rules into question than I am the Matrix rules. Yeah, I'm. I think that's the play. All right, where do we see? I think we should. I think we should remove <laughs> one of the Mighty Ducks, and it might. I think we should remove number ten because the senior one is stupid, and the the Iceland one we kind of were able to work our way into it. Yeah, I think we should get rid of. Uh, I think we should we should put um. Terminator in for Matrix. I would be fine because this is a pretty a pretty packed list. I I would be fine pulling Fokker versus Burns off of this. Yeah, that one feels like because they're both just men and like with varying intellects. Like that one feels it, like it. There's some room. Yeah. Okay. So where? How do you feel about our top three? I feel very good about our top three. I do too. I would I would put the School of Rock one at like ten, because you can like, I could see someone allowing that to happen, and they don't ultimately win. Yeah, so it, that's like, true. But still, that's yeah. That kind of is Kylo versus finish. I think in that sense. Yeah, 
The fact that Finn doesn't win is the only thing keeping it down there for me. Yeah, I agree. I like Happy Gilmore that high. I know, it's so, it's so ridiculous. It's so stupid. But such a great movie. Why don't we, I, I think I would put the John, I think I would put John McClane highest of the ones that I'm stumping for, and I kind of like it at that, in that area. Yeah, I would feel good about that at five and then T1000 at six. And then maybe we go, uh, what do you think is more ridiculous, Roger Moore or Independence Day? I kind of think Independence Day. I think so too. And then I like Roger Moore and then Mighty Ducks and then mm-hmm. School of Rock. Or no, wait, what did I do wrong yeah, we're, here? We got to dump one more actually then. Ah, shit. If we're, doing, if we're doing Independence Day. I don't want to dump Finn vs. Ren. That's so dumb. Let's just leave. I don't we know. could dump. We could dump the Roger Moore one. This is a, there are some strong entries, and yeah. I think that one has a, a symbol of others okay. would allow for a, a replacement with the nod that combined all of these James Bond things are insane. Yeah. Okay. I'm happy with that. Let's, it's beginning to feel like we have a list. It seems that way. You want to recap? It, it only took us six hours. Yeah. Jeez. Uh, yes. All right. So clocking at number ten is those pesky kid musicians from School of Rock. Uh, taking on a legitimate adult battle of the bands. Number nine is the force insensitive tubby and not at all trained Finn versus the opposite of all of those things, Kylo Ren. Number eight is the world champion Mighty Ducks being bested by a high school team. Number seven is the human Air Force with its human technology... Taking on the alien force with its alien technology. Welcome to Earth. This is the same aliens that like completely obliterate the White House with like a a laser beam. And can also control people's minds, don't forget. Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. Uh, Number six, the T-1000, which was specifically designed to defeat the Arnold version. Not defeating the Arnold version. Uh, Number five... Everything that John McClane does after the first Die Hard. Number four, the <laughs> the very the guy with a very bad short game, Happy Gilmore, beating the actual champ slash contender for the throne, Shooter McGavin. Wild. Number three, the purple ball bag alien who controls all of the most important elemental forces in the universe being eventually bested by a group of people who range from gods to people with guns. Right. Number two, the... I think I looked it up and he would be like a, a super welterweight or light heavyweight possibly or something like that. Rocky Balboa Tough. versus God, the, the actual Greek god. Apollo. Muhammad Ali pretender Carl Weathers slash Apollo Creed. An actual Greek god. His name is Apollo. It, right. like, he is a Greek god. You're no, right. It's intentional. Yeah. And then number one, rich guy versus versus actual god. Right. Batman versus Superman. I like it. That's the definitive list with an asterisk. Yep. I just want to reiterate that we're still doing albums for 2018. Yes. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, so just remember we're on Twitter at Top10KM. We're same email. As always, our music was composed. And so, conveniently, Kevin McLeod composed both our theme music and our new Not Top 3 blurb. Yes. And our artwork is still being done by Aaron Sant. You can find 
at Sant Design on Instagram. All right, thanks, buddy. Alrighty, later, player. I'm going to sip Moscato and do it with no hands. No. I'm going to sip Moscato and while you do Something happens in between while you do it with no hands. That's what it is. I'm going to sip Moscato. I don't know. Something happens between sipping Moscato and then you doing it with no hands, but I forget what. What so, am I doing so, with no hands? I think you're like, doing it, like twerking on, on my thing, my, my groove thing, I think they call it. So Can I'm sipping Moscato. Uh, no, eh, eh, I think if you want it, but I'm. I think I'm mostly sipping Moscato. I I'm think at this point I've probably already had some. If this, if I'm gonna get any at all. Well, the, yeah, that's true. I think the point is my masculine charm is such that you don't need. It's not like I need to ply you with Moscato. I'm sipping the Moscato. You know. <laughs> Regardless of Moscato, I'm doing it with no hands. Yeah, yeah. That's, there may be Moscato involved. Maybe. Like if you want it, but it's, it would just be For additive. Me, yeah. Okay, okay. Yes. Yeah. yes. Mm-hmm.